Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. On today's episode, we have Lauren. Hello. And Justin. On this week's episode of LaGrange Point, we talk about things that fly that really shouldn't, such as tigers, snakes, and spiders. Oh my! And we really get into the mysteries of some of these creatures' weird aeronautical behaviours. How snakes can fly, tigers can leap high, and spiders become balloonists. And now we launch into our Launchpad News segment. Our city of science for this week is San Francisco, and not for the reasons of digging into the world of Silicon Valley, though it's very close to there and it's very involved with a lot of great and cutting-edge research. We're focusing on San Francisco this week, mostly because of one of our stories, which has actually got a sad tinge to it, and also an interesting one, to do with the San Francisco Zoo, and some of the research being done on some of the creatures that lived there, and some of the enclosures and way that they're designed. And what can happen if you uh, don't make your enclosures as safe as they can be and uh, tigers suddenly gain the ability to uh, leap out of them and uh, visit the uh, visiting populace in return. So we'll dig into that in a minute, but that's why San Francisco is our city of science this week. So Justin, you went to San Francisco recently. That's right, I did. Would you be looking at going back there possibly around Christmas time? Uh, well, actually, it is one of the warmest times to be in San Francisco, from what I've heard, thanks to the unusual ocean currents and wind patterns that happen there. So, middle of winter is actually their warmest time of year. But that aside, what what, what, what do you have in mind, Lauren? Well, this Christmas actually uh, marks the five-year anniversary of when a Tibetan tiger broke out of the San Francisco Zoo and went on a rampage. Well, well sorry. This is what? <laughs> Like, you, you watch Anchorman and you, and you laugh about, you know, the people falling into the line enclosures or people doing that sort of stuff, but animals escaping, like a tiger, from a zoo is usually pretty terrifying because you, you see them, but they're usually so well-designed and, like, sealed off that you're like, oh, it's okay, I'm perfectly safe here. Well, apparently this enclosure wasn't exactly sealed off as well as they thought because the tiger was actually able to leap out of its enclosure and, unfortunately, attack a few of the people standing there on Christmas Day. So, you know, a great Christmas present. Yes, well, so what actually, what actually happened there? So the tiger leaped out of the, of the enclosure, which is, that's, that's terrifying in and of itself. And then it went on a rampage and um, sad, sadly injured many people and uh, ki- killed um, two people who were, who, were at the, who were at the zoo. Now, there's been some allegations that they may have been taunting the tiger or provoking it in some way, um, but we're, we're, not, we're not entirely certain about that. And it's, uh, I mean, it's been, been quite some time ago. But the zoo itself had to go through a lot of, obviously, investigations and figuring out how how you can make the place safe. Now, what was interesting about this is if you go back to the San Francisco Zoo today, the tiger is still there, looking over it, guarding you at the front entrance, which is a bit weird. So some physicists from um, Northeastern University in Boston actually d- decided to solve this problem and realised just exactly how this tiger managed to leap, clean over the boundaries around this enclosure to attack someone. So we build all these fences and we build, and enclosures are typically also depressed below the area where people are standing. So it makes it actually quite difficult for the animals to get to you. It also gives you a good viewing angle because you're looking down on them. What happened in this case is um, Titania, the, the tiger, actually managed to leap from it where it was underneath onto the platform where people were standing. And as uh, the, ti- the tiger itself weighs 350 pounds... Um, and the the barrier is 35, 33 feet away. 
Um, and the barrier itself is uh, 12 feet high. I'm just going to metricize this for you right now. 12, 12.5 feet roughly comes out to uh, 3 meters, and 33 feet away is, is roughly um, 10 meters away. So the tiger jumped 10 meters across and, and 3, three meters, meters high to actually make it to the people to attack them. And when the tiger weighs, you know, several, you know, 100 kilos, that's insane. I don't even know. I mean, I feel like this tiger should have been in the Olympics or something. Well, I mean, it would definitely would have won a long jump award, that's for certain. <laughs> so apparently, the tiger launched itself, thanks to the research from the Northeastern University in Boston, at a speed of 42 kilometres an hour, which is about 11 metres a second if you want to try and do this physics problem at home. At an angle of about 55 degrees. Now, this is a relatively simple projectile motion question when you get down to it and you can think about mm-hmm. actually working backwards. So if you're in year 12, you probably would have done a question similar to this. But I don't think anyone's really thought about sending an exam question about a tiger leaping that far. Um, and that's that's that was actually what was required. Um, now, this isn't uncommon because the this type of tiger, Siberian tigers, can reach roughly uh, 55 kilometers an hour running normally. Um, but they can only do it, you know, for a few meters at a time. They haven't really been long stretches of leaping. So, what what they what they analysed and determined is the tiger was actually at that speed and then leapt, and the force from the leaping as well is actually enabled it to, to jump that far. So it got a running head start and decided, oh, okay, I can now leap this distance. Can you imagine a tiger coming at you that fast with that? And it was three hundred and fifty pounds and whoa. Yeah, that. <laughs> If nothing else, if you had managed to survive that, I think you would more likely have a heart attack from a tiger like <laughs> leaping full bore at you. Now, this certainly goes to show the the strength and the majesty of the animal kingdom. Thankfully, the San Francisco Zoo has now added more protection to their enclosures. I hear something about like an electrified fence, and um... they've also doubled the height of the barrier, which both seem like safe precautions. <laughs> after this tiger managed to clean jump it. So, most uh, when they actually analysed the zoo itself and the investigations that followed, they found that the the original fence wasn't up to the standard that was required. So it was an accident waiting to happen. Um, which does mean that as long as the zoos that we go to around Australia follow these rules, and they are very well designed in Australia, I must say they have ditches, they have raised fences, they have all sorts of barriers. So we are very safe. Um, Except for the tigers that they walk around at Dreamworld on the Gold Coast on a leash. Um, I think we'll be okay. But the number one point to remind you here is that animals are very dangerous, even when enclosed. And you need to give them the proper respect they deserve and not taunt or annoy them with flashes or with uh, loud noises or tapping on glass. And that way you can also guarantee to not only have treated them with respect, but also properly keep safe. Stay safe, kids. Have you ever been for a walk in the jungle, admiring the trees and looking at the beautiful sunlight when finding yourself under attack from something swooping out of the branches above you? Is it a drop bear? It's not a drop bear, nor is it a bird, nor is it a plane. In fact, it has a little bit to do with planes, as it's a snake. The paradise tree snake, (laughs) Chrysalopedia paradise, seems pretty standard. Like it's a normal snake, it's about three feet, you know... 90 centimetres in length. It's it's a reasonable sized snake doing reasonable type things that lives in in jungles. But uh, it has the unusual habit of climbing up trees, 
then launching itself from the said trees onto unsuspecting prey below, gliding on the way down. It glides, it doesn't just jump off the tree and then fall attacking you it has to glide down just coming right at you it glides an actual quite substantial distance very similar to um, what sugar gliders and other flying mammals do but it doesn't have um, for example like sugar gliders wing type things to catch the air on how does it fly well that's that's what researchers at the Boston University have been trying to find out mainly because this doesn't make any sense when you think about it a glider makes sense that it is able to glide a short glide because they have the large wingspans or same with bats and you expect that even if we as humans try to glide when we do that we actually have these like plastic wings that mimic them but a snake is for one of a better purposes roughly a cylinder and when you think about that logically it doesn't really make sense but when you consider about how snakes actually move, you realise that they're not a straight cylinder. They're actually something that ropes back and forward, and so they have a lot of surface area that's almost like a coil. So the physicists have actually been trying to figure out why it in fact does this. So how exactly does this work, Lauren? Well, Justin, once the snake has made its way up to the top of the tree, what it does is it launches itself horizontally and then starts to fall at about a 60-degree angle, and it moves back and forth in an S-like shape. You know, like serpentine. Except it does it so fast that it kind of acts like a wing. Yeah, so it actually creates an aerofoil because of the shape of the snake. Mm-hmm. And because it's got this, this undulating pattern back and forward, it actually gives it a horizontal velocity. So not only has it launched itself off the tree with a horizontal velocity, it actually adds to it. So it makes an ongoing S into it, which makes an aerofoil shape. And then the, the moving back and forth actually propels it along a bit. And it... And they've actually managed to find some amazing things, such as these snakes are able to launch themselves of a horizontal distance, on average, about 10 metres. When you think about that, that is a substantial distance. Think about how high up 10 metres is. And that's quite, that's quite a, a, long, a high distance. Mm-hmm. But 10 metres across is almost a, a, house, a house width block width. Which is crazy for a snake to fly that far. And when you're in the jungle, it's just like, oh, I'm going to walk along with all these trees looming above me. And then a snake just comes after you about 10 metres. You have to run further than 10 metres to get away from this thing. And that's what's really funny about this. Um, So there's actually been some interesting computer modelling on this because they actually have to figure about how do you capture the shape of the snake? Because you can't just approximate it as a cylinder. It's actually quite clever. It almost mimics an aerofoil. I think the snake actually changes its shape when it's um, launching itself mm. as well. Yeah, and so you actually you actually get some really complex fluid mechanics and aerodynamics going into this. So that when the scientists studying this actually have to do a considerable amount of computer modelling to actually figure out what the angle of attack is, which is an important part for lift, for figuring out lift, um, as well as looking at the vortices that form around the edges of the of the of the shapes s the snake's s shape that it makes back and forward. So, when you think about this, it's actually really interesting because about thirty different types of animals have have all evolved independently the ability to glide. But the snake is the only animal to figure out how to glide without having any appendages. Birds. <laughs> Sugar gliders, all these other things that know how to glide, they can do that with using their appendages. Even certain types of monkeys or squirrels, for that matter. But snakes have managed to do it with zero arms and legs. Snakes don't need no appendages. It's insane. So snakes aren't on a plane, but they are gliding from tree to tree, which is certainly 
<laughs> much more terrifying than most people have managed, imagined. The most interesting part of this about these researchers at Boston University are also interested in copying this snake's flying, gliding capabilities for robots because a robotic snake is actually a very easy and common type of snake of robot. So if you could mimic this type of behavior, you could make a robot that could glide very, very easily. So not only do we have to fear snakes that glide from tree to tree, but also potentially robot snakes that glide from tree to tree. So this is some interesting research coming out of the University of Boston. leaping we've talked about gliding i want to talk to you about a new type of flying which is called ballooning as in like hot air balloons and going up in the sky there's a creature that can actually do this ballooning by themselves i'm trying to think about what creatures could like fly as a balloon and all i'm coming up with a puffer fish but they're generally underneath the sea (laughs) at least as far as i know and nothing would surprise me after this show well this flying occurs in the sky and it's actually it occurs and it occurs with spiders. Wait, so hold on. Spiders. Spiders. Can balloon. Yes. Do they, they like hijack? Balloon. <gasps> what? How? So spiders actually um, weave a web out of their silk. That makes sense, yep. And then they use the air currents to travel around while still being attached to this balloon. So like they're, they're, they're basically parachuting out of their own silk. Yes. That's they're, amazing. They're using the air currents to travel around. So, so how do we know? How do we know this? What? Well, this was actually observed by Charles Darwin while he was on the Beagle, um, when he was about a hundred kilometers off the coast of South America, and he observed some ballooning spiders before. He okay. That's that's terrifying because when you think about it, I can certainly imagine spiders ballooning a couple of hundred meters from a tree down. If the snake can do it, why can't a spider do it? But like two hundred kilometers out at sea, or hundred kilometers out at sea, that is very far. That is a long way for a balloon to travel made of spider silk. Depending on the air currents, that can actually travel hundreds hundreds of kilometers out to sea. That's that's crazy. So so how are we how are we getting to the bottom of this? Because I imagine if you can figure out how a spider is managing to fly like that, there's a whole bunch of interesting applications for that use of spider silk as well. the science part. So I think the important question here now is, Lauren, why? <laughs> do they just like the feel of the wind through their hair? Why do, why do spiders take up ballooning, of all things? I think it's more like the feel of the wind through their web. But spiders actually um, do this, this period of ballooning during autumn and spring when they're looking for new areas and new mates. Okay, so actually, they basically leave their current web and just travel really far distance to a new one. That makes a lot of sense. So, a lot of researchers have been digging in to this problem um, and trying to figure out exactly how the spiders do it. Because all the models for flight of of the spiders have really come up with them only being able to travel a couple of hundred metres, as intuition would suggest. They would just glide like the snakes. Which wouldn't explain how they ended up out at sea with Charles Darwin and numerous other observations that have happened. So researchers from the UK and Rothamsted Research have been uh, modelling the spider's flight behaviour. And what they've had to do is take into account some very complicated aerodynamics and fluid mechanics to actually come up with a shape and a model for how the spiders do this. And they make what is basically an upside-down lollipop and they flow that into the air. And the design of the web and the drag on the web itself is actually what gives them a bit of lift and helps them actually fly for long distances. The web itself can change and contort 
by the spider in the breeze to actually help adjust and f- travel further. So are you telling me I could be out at sea, very far out at sea, and see an upside-down lollipop come ballooning at me and find out it's actually a spider? That's right. If you see an upside-down lollipop flying above the sea, chances are it's a spider, guys, so don't try and eat it. I think the main moral of um, today's episode is you're not safe anywhere. (laughs) That's right. And um, so they actually ride the turbulence and the breeze really interesting because of the way they can adjust the web as they're going. Now, to dig deep into this, um, the researchers themselves uh, from Rothamsted, Dr. Boham and Reynolds, are actually putting these spiders and their little balloons into wind tunnels to see how the spiders can actually fly in all kinds of turbulent conditions. So... Like any balloon, if they go in nice, calm conditions, they will travel a reasonable distance. But if they get into high winds, they can travel very, very far. And that's what assumed is to happen in these cases when spiders have been dragged out to sea. So what we've learned from this is that spiders love to balloon, and they actually are pretty good balloonists and balloon engineers almost when they make their own. So next time you're out in autumn or spring and see a spider, um, think about how it got there. And it probably took a balloon to reach it. And then consider just exactly what lengths they go to to uh, branch out and to reach new territory. They are more like us than you could possibly imagine. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, The Grange Point. Today we talked about things that fly that really shouldn't, including snakes, spiders and tigers. And just how exactly they get through these magical feats of aeronautics. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.